Imagine going to school to be a, a chef, but you never cooked anything. But when you, you're done, your job is to write recipes and tell folks what to cook and how to cook it. You know, it makes no sense. N- none at all. But, but yet it's totally accepted, you know, in our world today that this is separated. Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where we uncover the future of building and remodeling. I'm Todd Miller of Isaiah Industries, manufacturer of specialty metal roofing and other building materials. And today, my co-host is Seth Eckerman. Our goal here at Construction Disruption is to provide timely and forward-looking information about the entire construction world. As part of that, we look at innovations as well as trends in the practices, building materials, labor market, and leadership of our industry. And we cover a few other things along the way as well. Um, Today, we're delving into the design and build world with our special guest, David Supple, President and CEO of New England Design and Construction. Based in Boston and also known as NEDC, New England Design and Construction, has a unique approach to design, uh, to combining design with construction. And they follow their mantra of lifting spirits with spaces. They are, by their own description, architects who build. Their work includes new homes as well as significant remodeling projects. David, welcome to Construction Disruption. Really looking forward to visiting with you. Thank you, Todd. Yeah, great to be here. Very good. So let's dig right into it. You majored in architecture at the prestigious uh, Tufts University. Tell me a little bit, and, I, and I'd like to hear more. I know you talk a lot about the idea that the original meaning of the word architect was really master builder. Yes. And yet somehow we've gotten away from that. So tell me what that means to be someone who's trained in architecture, um, but yet now you have a company that actually bangs nails, that actually does the hands-on work. Tell us what that means. Well, I think it was meant, the, the way it was meant to be is, is really how I feel about it. And, you know, going back to when I went to school, I, I got into, I went to school to be an architect because I wanted to create incredible buildings. And that was the direction that I was guided to you know, it was like I was going to college. My That was kind of the, the family I grew up in. I was going to college. And that was, I actually bounced around a little bit in majors. And then I settled on that. And when I got out and I started to, you know, be in the, the industry and started practice, I, I didn't get that there was this um, division. Like I would meet a contractor and be like, I'd be like, oh, I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm, I just graduated. I'm working in architecture. And they'd be like, it wasn't like a, a flow. It wasn't like, a, oh, that's cool. Like it was kind of, you know, I, I kind of uh, didn't get that that this almost adversarial setup, which I think you you guys could relate to, is there, and and that that was really that's really been put there. So at that time, I didn't really get it, <laughs> but um, I did realize in a very short amount of time, I didn't know what I was doing. I felt, I felt super insecure. You know, I, I was working as an architect. My job was to tell folks what to build and how to build it, but I had never built anything in my life. So, I, you know, it, it didn't make sense to me. 
And um, around that time, someone told me, you know, the derivation of the word architect is master builder. And it, it just made total sense to me. And it and and that's kind of started me on this path to look into, like, what happened? Very, very interesting. Um, so I, I'm kind of curious. Um, you said you know, it was assumed you were going to go to college. Um, what made you kind of lean toward architecture in the first place? Did you come from a family that came out of that or? No, I went to, when I was in um, high school, I had an art teacher who showed us these pictures of, of buildings she'd visited, Notre Dame, the Rotunda in Italy. And, you know, I, I had never been out of the States. I'd never seen buildings like this. And I was really taken in, in that. And, and then when I was in college, I just, you know, I wasn't, um, you know, I was a business major, economics. I didn't, I didn't, I was just kind of looking and I had taken some architectural classes and, and Tufts is not, I went to Tufts, but Tufts is not a prestigious architectural school. <laughs> it's a really good school, but they actually, uh, my junior year, they just offered it as a major. I was going to minor in it. And then I was like, oh, cool. I'll just major in it. And so, so that's, you know, kind of fell into it to a degree, but. So talk a little bit more about this, um, idea of, of architect as master builder. And you, you related to sort of the, um, forget what the word you use, but the, uh, dichotomy between architects and builders or the disagreement there. Um, what, why, why do you think this all happened that, you know, we started out with this idea of, of designers as being master builders and then got away from it? Yeah. Well, as a natural progression, you know, that, that word master is in the trades today, right? You, you have master plumbers, master electrician. It's the same thing. It was the exact same thing. There were, you know, there were guilds. There were different trade guilds. And you would start off as an apprentice and then you'd be a journeyman and then you would be a master. And then you would be able to, you know, direct and design the work. And that was the way it was for thousands of years. You go back to the Egyptians. That's the way it was. Then the Greeks, the Romans, uh, it progressed through the Renaissance, which is a period that is a bit under misunderstood about this. But it, that's the way it was then, too. Through, you know, through the up until the 1800s, that's the way it was. Hmm. And the the way it changed, do you want to know how it changed? I guess. Okay. So in the middle of the 1800s, there was a group. Uh, and, and if you look in a dictionary, an English dictionary from the 1800s, you look up builder and you look up architect, those words are synonyms. Okay. They meant the same thing or li- pretty much the same thing. And a group of the best builders, architects, same thing at that time. The problem they were trying to solve is that they could not reach the highest social status at that time in America, which was that of a gentleman. And the reason they could not reach that status is per the definition of a gentleman, you could not partake in manual labor, in physical labor. That was a no-no. Wow. You know, they couldn't make it. They, and their clients, they, they, these were the, you know, the best and brightest. They, their clients they served, they wanted to be on par with them. But they couldn't be. And so they created the American Institute of Architects with the stated purpose to raise their social status. And, you know, they they went from wearing aprons to suits. And it was really a PR play to distance themselves from the building trades from which they came and, and reach this higher status. And 
the way it came to be so separated is that today folks don't know this and it's made, it's been made to appear that it's always been separated and that's just the way it is. It's the status quo. And so we follow that. Um, but that, that it's just not, it's just not the way it all always was. And, and it wasn't done. The separation wasn't done to create better buildings. It wasn't done for this greater good, you know, higher purpose. It was a short term, uh, you know, short sighted play. And it, and it really, um, folks just aren't aware of it, but it's naturally, there's a natural push towards integration because of, it, because it just makes sense, you know? So right. you're seeing more and more of this, uh, today and you, you know, your podcast talking about the future of the industry. This is most definitely the future is this, you know, reuniting and, and, and it's bit, bit, buildings are better for it. And not only the, the buildings, but the thing that is deceptive about it a little bit is you, you can see the buildings, right? But you don't know the uh, efficiency in which they were built. You don't know the stress and, you know, energy that went into it. It's a lot of it is the experience. It's just a lot more efficient. Like when we're designing, because we also build, we know what the thing costs. You know, I just met with a client uh, yesterday. They had worked with an architect for a year, literally a year. They didn't, and they had plans. They didn't know what the hell it was going to cost. Wow. You know, they literally could have just, you know, and it, maybe it was twice their budget. You start over, you know, it's like, it's, it's just, it's very inefficient. That's only in the design process. Never mind once you get to construction and the, and the you know, the issues that can arise by not having a single source of accountability. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, when you think about the efficiencies that are lost when you separate those two into two trades, and I love the fact that you provided that history of how that came to be, um, where they got separated. So you wrote an article recently, um, and you made a great analogy to the medicine, to uh, the medical industry or to medicine in terms of, you know, what if we did this in medicine? Could, yeah. you, could you give us a quick overview of that? Because I thought that was... Yeah, I, mean, I think it was called What If? And it was just, I think if you look at it in relation to other industries, because this has been so accepted and commonplace, it's a little bit hard to see it, how asinine the separation is. But then if you relate it to other industries, uh, cooking is a great one. But but the, in this article, I wrote an article on What If? And, and the idea was like, hey, what if you had the medical profession split between those that diagnose and those that actually treat? And the reason it, it was split wasn't because it was better for the patient and that they could heal people better that way. It was just because about 150 years ago, it wasn't cool to treat illnesses or do surgery. So they, they just separated it arbit completely arbitrarily for that reason so that they could, you know, position themselves with a higher class. And, you know, what if you just, you had this person you went to, to do the diagnosis, you know, they tested you, check for the symptoms. They then prescribe your medication or surgery. And then you would go to complete different location, completely different named. It wasn't, you know, maybe there was a certain, just surgeons and doctors or whatever. And then you went to them and they were responsible for carrying out the surgery, which this other doctor had uh, prescribed and, you know, laid out. 
but what if they disagreed? What if, you know, you're n- you don't know the cost until you go to the second guy. It's really asinine. It doesn't make any sense. You can do it with cooking too. What if, what if, and this, this I relate to folks is like going to school to architecture. It's like going to school for four, five, six years, but you never cooked anything. Imagine going to school to be a, a chef, but you never cooked anything. But when you, you're done, your job is to write recipes and tell folks what to cook and how to cook it. Wow. You know, it makes no sense. N- none at all. So, but, but yet it's totally accepted, you know, in our world today that, the, that these, this is separated. Very interesting. So as I think about this, I, I th- have to think about the fact that um, my wife and I have lived in the same home for about 30 years. And over that 30 years, we've done at least five, maybe six significant remodel projects. And um, for most of those, I used sort of an old school contractor. He did a good job, um, largely off of his gut, sometimes our wishes, you know, which kind of involved my background in construction. But Bottom line, we've never had a professional architect involved. And frankly, sometimes when I look at some of the things we've done and the money we spent, I kind of regret that. Um, So how do you think the property owner's experience is different and the end result is better uh, when an architect's mind and creativity and training and ability are involved in remodeling or I guess new construction as well? Yeah, I mean, I think it it uh, can be better, and you know, there's components that go into a successful project. The design of a project, the purpose of it is really to think things through, right? It's to it's to not have regrets when you're done because you thought through all the possibilities and you 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 know you came to the right conclusion that was right for you and every client you know, the right project is probably going to be a little different because they are different. And um, part of the designer's job is to get to know that, really be able to step inside their head and then but act as an instrument because as the professional, we're going to then carry forth that vision, you know, into reality. And so it's extremely helpful to have that uh, training and theory in design. It's not a knock that that is not important. It, it's it, in no way that it's that's crucial. But but if at the same time, that's just a component of it actually. So in a, if you don't if you're not grounded while you're creating this incredible design in costs in real world factors of of execution and schedule, it can it can all be for naught. So they do, they they need to work together. You know, that's really the reality of it. And that that is the way it was for for millennia. And it's just, you know, makes sense. So today they're, you know, the a lot of times the homeowner unwittingly, when they when say they're just working with a contractor, they are they and it's confusing because it's the way it's set up and it's just kind of, oh, you're supposed to, this is how you do it. But uh, you know, they might hire an architect. And design something they absolutely fall in love with, but is for naught because it can't be executed, or then they're tempted to go with the low bidder, then they're going to go with trouble. You know, on the flip side, if you're just working with, with a contractor, you know, a lot of times the designer doesn't, the, the client doesn't know this, but they're the designer. <laughs> you know, because the contractor today, 
previously, there was a lot more prestige in the trades. And the reason for that is because that there was that theory of design. They were responsible for the outcome. Not They weren't just nail bangers and order takers and like, hey, you tell me. You know, they, there was some accountability in there and getting to the right project for that client. That was part of the trade. And so when, they, when these guys took that away, you know, it kind of lowered the trades down a degree as a result of that. And, you know, some, some of the, the best builders today, the best architects, they are that way because they, they understand the full picture. They understand there are components and they ensure that the others, if they're not fully, you know, handling all aspects of it, they, they're ensuring that there is somebody there that is. And it is still a collaborative, you know, team effort. Sure. It makes perfect sense. And that, that history is fascinating and analogies just uh, bring it home all the more. It's, uh, I'm curious, you said, in telling your story, you said, you said when you heard that derivation, it kind of broke the glass on your perspective. Um, but you had this expanded perspective as someone who had never built anything before. So, so what was the next step for yourself? The next step is I actually, I actually, uh, Worked as an art, uh, worked as a carpenter. Awesome. Yeah. So I intentionally then set out, you know, I left the, the architecture studio and I worked as a carpenter to, to fill that void. And it was a, it was a really good decision. And I think the way it's set up when you graduate from architecture school, you know, you go start working as an architect and you might just be sitting in front of a computer drafting for, for hours and hours, long days. You're not, you might not totally understand what you're drafting and there becomes that, but if, if you go in, if you just keep going on that road, you know, I think if, you know, this is not, this is a generality, but there's a bit of pretentiousness built into the uh, idea of an architect, but there is a little bit of pretending there. You know what I mean? Like had I just caught going, I, w- I was to a degree already pretending. You know, I'm doing these drawings. I don't really know what I'm drawing, <laughs> but mm-hmm. then they're going to go out and, and be built. So, you know, I didn't want to do, I knew, I knew I didn't know and I wanted to, to fill that void. And so I, that's what I did. And, um, I never became a great carpenter. I actually got fired <laughs> and, uh, I had a couple, a couple jobs, you know, and then, um, I didn't have a job and I start I started this company actually. That was the, how I started this company is just not having a job and needing, needing one. <laughs> That's awesome. That's fantastic. Great story. So I, I believe you have a book coming out later this year. I'd love to hear a little bit about that. You know, what's inspired you, um, when it's going to be out, uh, maybe, a, maybe even a favorite part of the book, uh, from your perspective. It's, uh, it's going to be out, um, in the, in the fall, uh, of this year, it's called rebuilding the architect. Wow kind of double, double meaning right there. Awesome. Yeah. And, um, my favorite part, you know, in writing this book, I had been writing this book for a long time. I write blogs, you know, every, every now and again. And I, I was right. I had seen, I went to school for architecture, right? You do, you see a lot of, you sit in a lot of dark rooms looking at screens of old buildings and you, you, you typically follow chronologically, you know, started in, uh, you know, with Babylon and Egypt, the, the the two first major civilizations, and you see these. What do you think of when you see Egyptian architecture? What kind of buildings? Pyramids. 
pyramids. Exactly. And that's what we saw. Then you go to Greece and it's like, oh, the holy, yeah. like the most significant era, classical architecture, you know, and the, the Greeks uh, started, the Romans perfected it. And then you go forth and up until modernism, that was the main influence throughout history, that classical period of architecture. And I, I, this is also my favorite kind of part of the book. And I saw a picture of an Egyptian temple that was extremely uh, classical in nature. And, um, you know, colonnades, stacked tiers of colonnades called Hatshepsut's Temple. And I'd never seen this uh, temple before. And I say, like, wow. Huh. And it was it's from like 1500 B.C. The Greeks, they, you, the, you don't see the Parthenon until like 500 B.C. So it's like a thousand years earlier. And I just started to look into it. And basically what I found is classical architecture originated in Africa. The Greeks got it from Egypt, like 110 percent. I show this visually in the book and. The great thing about it is, you know, it, you can see it. So one can form their own conclusion just from, from looking at the pictures. I was, I was fascinated by this. The thing that then blew, completely blew me away is the reason no one knows that either is the same reason that no one knows that the architect and builder used to be one and the same. And the, so when these guys who started the AIA, best builders of the time, when they started the IA, they were like, okay, so what do we do now? And basically their plan was, well, let's get the way an architect is trained. It's changed from an apprenticeship system into the universities because that's going to help raise our status. And they, the first institution they got it into was MIT, extremely you know, prestigious universities. And pre-mid-1800s, uh, and I show this in the book, it was openly espoused and known that, yes, the Greeks got it from the Egyptians. These guys knew it, and I know they knew it because they wrote it in their books and on what they lectured that the Greeks got it from the Egyptians. They then started to cross off that and change the history books for the, for the same reason, because Africa and Egyptians were associated with black people who were at that time enslaved being colonized, and it was part of distancing themselves from anything that could be construed as, you know, inferior, lower class, et cetera, like, like, the, like the building trades in physical labor. So that, the, the, that connection, I, I mean, I, I, I was completely blown away. I wasn't even intending to, to find that connection, but, but, um, but it is. It is true. We'll certainly look forward to the book coming out. I mean, you're giving me enough of a teaser there. I definitely want to read it and learn more and, and know more. So uh, Rebuilding the Architect, great name as well. So NEDC, your business, um, you've stacked up a lot of awards, some great recognition. Um, as you've grown your business, any significant surprises along the way? I mean, has it always been easy to combine this idea of design and build? Uh, I mean, the design build aspect of it has been for me because um, I, I mean, I think it's because I think it's simpler for the client. And so it, it's it's more and more I'm meeting with folks now and and, and they it's out there enough where they they are educating themselves already. They're already 
a bit educated and get that this is a simpler, less confusing, you know, route for them to go. So that definitely has not been, you know, a, a huge challenge, but there's always challenges, you know, <laughs> in my business and, and uh, always, always striving to get better and improve and so as you work with clients and uh, you set out to, you know, work on the design part of either new construction or remodel, um, I'm sure your goal is always to get everything perfect for the client. But I'm curious, are there ever any particular parts, say, of a home that you're saying, I've got to get this right for this client? Or does that vary by the client? Or are there just these super critical areas that you sure don't want to mess up? Uh, I mean, the finish is is obviously a big one because that's what everybody sees. But a lot of that is determined on the steps that come prior. You know, if mm-hmm. your wall's <laughs> crooked, you're not going to have the finish. However great a finished carpenter you have, it's not, you know, it's going to be tough. You know, for, for us, we do really try to think through the project in the design process so that and we believe that that's really the start of a successful project is if it has been thought out thoroughly. And so that's really, you know, a key, a key for us. And, you know, on a, any one project, we're probably going to have 20 different trade partners. So, you know, that's a huge aspect of it is just really uh, it's not static. You know, while, while we've had folks been with us for, for a decade, it's not it's you know, that's an area that we're always trying to raise our standards in. And um, and reciprocate, and they because they are part of the team. They're the ones actually doing doing the work. So uh, really, try to have strong relationships with our trades. Yeah. I, I'm curious. We uh, had a recent episode where we had an interior designer that we uh, spoke with and interviewed. Do you ever get involved in relationships with the the actual designer who's going to be doing some of the design of the decoration and different things inside the home? Yeah, we do. You know, it's 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 interesting because we do do all the interior design for our projects. Okay, very good. We act as the interior. We do not do decorating. And you can say interior designer, and it means different things to sure. different people. And then you have the decorator. So we have had clients who have wanted that help. And it's an area that we might, you know, extend into in the future because, because we do want to be that single source of accountability, but we have uh, on projects, you know, had an interior decorator who was, you know, essentially part of the team. And in that case, you know, we just need to communicate more and just make sure hats and roles are defined and and who's doing what and make sure everything is covered and it, you know, doesn't doesn't fall back on the client. And it all goes back to that idea of communication and, and getting that client's needs foremost in mind. That's great. That's right. Is there anything, um, if you think about trends today, maybe trends in terms of how space is allocated or colors or other things, any particular trends that you're hearing from clients today that, gee whiz, five years ago, no one would have ever asked me for that. Now everyone's asking me for that. You know, clients are now asking, we're in Boston and we, we have the um, kind of the leading energy code for the country. And... That's something that we are being asked for now and folks are seeking that out is, uh, you know, not just the energy efficiency, but the benefits that come with it, which which I don't think is talked enough enough about, but indoor air quality and just having healthier homes. So that's definitely, 
you know, uh, a proponent and, you know, indoor out spaces that that's becoming, you know, more popular. A lot of folks, you know, got through COVID by, by, but with that. And so they want, you know, more connectivity to the outside, but we got to heat it too. Well, I was going to say, yeah, Boston's a little bit tricky in that respect. Yeah. You, you've got, what, about three months a year where you could be outside and maybe a little no, more. No, no, the inverse. <laughs> the inverse. We, we can be outside nine months. It's it's really three months that is really cold. But you don't want to be outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, when you think of, when you walk your typical client through a remodeling project, anything that really surprises them during that process? Well, we try to get through you know, rid of the surprises early. <laughs> Good. And, um, and just because I think that goes along with the fact that we're not an architect who doesn't build. So, you know, if, if we were, we're not re- really going to be responsible for the cost. And if a client's like, oh, you know, our budget is a, a million dollars and then we design a project that's 2 million, you know, it's kind of like, huh? Or, you know, oh man, let me give you some other guys or, it's they're not fully responsible for it or in it on the inverse. If you're a builder and you're meeting with the client, you could tell them, yeah, you could do that for X and then it's going to get designed. So, so now it's a completely different project, right? And it's going to cost a different amount. So, you know, we try to like, you know, if there's sticker shock or surprises on expectations, try to get rid of, get them up, get them up front, you know, so they, they know what they're going into. Like that's a conversation in the first hour meeting with the client. I'm really trying to set up an outline, walking through their home, you know, figuring out what is a, an outline. I don't get into like specific details, but just big picture, you know, really holistically look at what their goals are and then put together a project in the way of scope and cost and and maybe some sketches of, but it's still kind of broad of like Hey, I think this is where you're going to be. This is where we see folks coming in for this type of scope. And it's, you know, that's so we have those parameters and expectations set even before we start the design process. And it's just simpler for everybody uh, in, in that way. And I think, you know, a big part and there might be a range there. Like I, we tell folks, you know, hey, put a 25 percent range on that at this point because there's variables. We, most of our, all of our work is not new construction. It is, you know, significant remodels where we have an existing home, maybe we're adding on to it. And so, you know, initially there's a bit of variables. We can't see through walls, uh, but we will. You know, our first step in the design process, we call pre-design. And it's pre-design because we're at, it's fact-finding. We're doing, you know, a, a blow door, an infrared scan. We are you know, documenting what the structure is, where the utilities are, so that by the time we get to the end of the design process, there is a fixed cost. And that cost, this is a re- another significant difference, I think, between having a separate architect and builder. I don't know if you guys have any judgment on this, but what I've seen or heard is about 20% on average increase in cost. You know, residential, commercial, I think, may differ a little bit, but on average, I've heard construction projects, the average increase after construction starts is 20% increase. Ours historically is under 2%. Wow. And, and that includes folks adding scope. That in, that includes unforeseen conditions. But we, we don't have the change order of like, oh, well, the drawing said this, and that's not possible. 
So, you know, here's the changer. We can't, that's just like, there's, we can't, you know, can't point the finger back at ourselves there. So I think that's a huge, huge, you know, benefit to the consumer of this integrated approach. So in, in bringing these, you know, two trades together, if you will, and, you know, you were the trained architect who learned how to, to then become a builder as well. Um, what if you were on the other side of that equation? What if you were the builder or the remodeler? Yes. Any, any advice to them on how they, you know, go back and incorporate more professional design? I think most design builders actually come from more of the contractor side. That's been my my observation. Yeah. yeah. And um, I mean, I think that a differentiator for us is that I do come from the design side. And so that's, there's an advantage there because we, we, we're looking to do like a higher end project. Our, our clients are looking for an architect. That's who they have been trained that they need to go out and seek because they want, that's important to them. They want incre- incredible design and they're, and they can pay for it. And so I think there's an opportunity there for a lot of contractors to really like heighten and improve their design department and raise the level on that because um, because a lot of the competition out there in design build is more like build design. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more coming from the contractor side. So you could differentiate yourself by really filling that void that you might have, you know, on the design side. Makes a lot of sense. You mentioned the average uh, cost increase over scope, which was powerful. So I'm curious, um, do you have a similar kind of comparison for length of project or anticipated length? I do. I do. In the book, um, it's incredible for commercial, like large scale civil projects. There's been reports that have been published and it is incredible. I I can't quote it. you know, but these are already like year long projects and I think it's like 60% over schedule. So it's not, it's not, um, it's not insignificant. And, you know, another datum for you is that the home improvement industry has been rated second worst for customer dissatisfaction. I think it's 10 years in a row by the federal uh, consumer something or other uh, agency that service and that number one is, is like the used car salesman. So, you know, that, and, and for me, the source of that is the separation and the lack of accountability because that, that, that does, you know, fall back down on the, on the, on the consumer and their experience. Sure. It, it's so easy to see how there would be huge benefits there. And yeah, I thought of that question, thinking about uh, some of your project timelines that you've had around your house. We won't yeah, talk about how long. Yeah, I've had, a, I've had a few time overruns and cost overruns. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you have to someone out there who may be thinking of entering either end of this design or construction? And, and I guess in particular, who do you think they should be paying attention to? What should they be reading? Who they, should they be listening to? Um, you mean me, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I was hoping you would say that. Yeah. And so, you know, that's really who I, who I am trying to reach out to is maybe a student, maybe, you know, somebody who considers themselves a student for life who is open because I think a lot, maybe not a lot, but there is a segment that's kind of ingrained and it's going to be hard, very hard for them to change because they're vested in this setup. 
and it actually it kind of benefits them. And uh, even if it's even if they see it's not the best way, that's the main thing I'd love for children coming up to you know have the idea of. I feel like it's a little bit posed, like hey, you can be an architect or a builder. You got to pick, but that's not true. You know, when the kid's playing with his blocks and he's like building these things. He's like, has an idea and then he's going, he's doing the whole, he's doing the whole thing. He's the architect and he's the builder. And then that you can progress. And in, you know, very strong purpose of mine is just educate, get, because there's, there's ignorance. It's below ignorance because folks think they know, oh yeah, it's always been separated. That's always the way it is. That's what we're taught, but it's bullshit. And, you know, I'm trying to just get each folks up to the point of, okay, I'm aware. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, okay. That they, they were one in the same just 150 years ago for thousands of years. And it was changed because these guys, you know, wanted to read. Okay. Now let me like, I think there'll be more of a reach and willingness to explore. And then really it is the educational systems that need to change. Because if you look up the way you were in Boston, probably the, the educational capital of the world, and there's several universities here that have an architecture school, engineering school, construction management school. And you would think they were integrated, but they're totally separate. Sep- they ne- students never cross paths, different professors, different curriculums, different colleges within the universities. It's, it's actually nuts. But that is the way they're trained. And so then they go out and then, you, you know, you wonder why is it, there's this adversarial setup because it's ingrained. It's taught. Uh, that being said, there are now over a hundred design build classes in uh, over a hundred universities today in America, which is an extreme positive. But those are are kind of token classes, optional. Whereas in reality, you know, it needs to flip. The the kind of we need to start with a foundational, you know. If you're going to go off and be uh, an electrical engineer or an electrician, you start at the same place and you're learning the same things, right? And then from there, you can specialize and say, hey, oh, I want to work with my hands. And then you you, you might, you know, have a, a, a separate path there and the engineer is going to go off and specialize a little bit more in the theory of that. But you started at the same place together and you and you have that understanding of, hey, we need each other. One of the things I thought of as you were talking there is I I see the need for a children's book here uh, that kind of goes. Oh, thank! I've started. That I've would started. be awesome because that's that's going to impact yeah, the parents then too. Totally, it's it's going to be. It's I don't know the exact name, but it's basically the true history of the architect and builder. That would be awesome. And they're one and they're one in the same. Yeah, start them young, and that's the way. Uh, that's way you can change things. I love what you're doing. This is um, fascinating, makes every bit of sense. And uh, hopefully uh, this helps get the word out and get some more people connected to you. And, well, I do want to to switch gears a little bit. So um, we're close to the end of our time. Um, Before we close out, one of the things that we like to do here on Construction Disruption is have what we call our rapid-fire question round. And this is seven questions. Some may be a little silly. Some are more serious. All you got to do is give your quick answer to them. Audience needs to understand David doesn't have a clue what we're going to ask him. So you good for this? That's true. That's true. (laughs) Okay. Well, we will alternate questions. I will start out first. So I like this question. Um, Top or bottom half of the bagel? Oh, man. 
top with all the salt and all that stuff. <laughs> on That's where I am. I like it. Every, everything baked. <laughs> I'm there with you. Very good. Although I'm trying to go low carb. Well, so. that, that's the danger of that question. <laughs> Aren't we all, unfortunately? Question number two, uh, if speaking of low carb, if you had to eat a crayon, what color would you choose? I don't know. I feel like I would just, I would like melt it and yellow. Seems, somehow that seems like the least uh, unappetizing. <laughs> there you go. Me. That's been an answer before. Yep, yes. you're not the only one. So a uh, good question for a, for a designer and builder. What is, the fa- what is your favorite place in your home and what, what do you like about that place? I like my office. <laughs> and I like it because uh, I, do, I work there and I've kind of made it my own and yeah, it's mine. My my bedroom's not yeah, mine. I hear you. My bathroom is not mine. My closet is not mine. <laughs> yeah. uh, question number four: favorite pizza toppings. Oh, this is the low carb problem again. But I'll eat. The, I'll eat. The, I'll eat that stuff. You know, just to, can't. Don't eat the. Leave the rest of the pizza. You know, I like sausage, peppers. That's a good olives. Good tasty. Stuff. I like lots of stuff. Anchovies. I do. Give me all that stuff. I'll be y'all. <laughs> I'll leave the bread. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, question five. Uh, How do you answer the phone? What do you say when you answer the phone? I usually, it it depends. If I, if I, if I, if I, uh, unless I know the person, I'll say, hey, this is David. I don't actually know. I don't actually know what I say. (laughs) I think it's, hello, this is David. It's surprising how that has changed. I mean, I grew up where the phone was the phone in the house that was on the wall and it was the family phone. And that was very different than how I answer today. So. How do you answer it? How do you answer it, Todd? This is Todd. How can I help you? I think is what I usually say. Cool. Yeah, that's okay. I'm I'm the same as you. Hello, this is Seth. Okay. Someone from history who you greatly admire and why? Uh, you know, in my research, uh, you know, Fre- Frederick Douglass is somebody, uh, Booker T. Washington. Booker T. Washington started the first design build school. Oh, wow. And it was, uh, he was born a slave, really just, you know, Got got himself educated from from grit, and then started uh, Tuskegee University, and his motto was learning to do by doing. And so they didn't, you know, in the in the in, the, in uh, Tuskegee, Alabama, heart of the South, at, at the end of slavery, you know, still the odds stacked, you know, against. And uh, he started this incredible program, and they would design their buildings. And then build them. The students, uh, it's re- I wrote a blog article on this, and um, it's really the first design build school in America, uh, and it's not not acknowledged for that, but but uh, but it will be very cool. And it's really the the, the right example. Like that's the way the school, the, what the school should be doing now. And imagine that you know spanning the drafting room in the morning, and then going out, and then and then building what you had drawn is, is is incredible learning to do by doing good stuff i'm gonna yeah. look up that blog post by you too seventh question uh final favorite thing to do on a friday evening oh, i hang with my my family my son has martial arts on friday goes to like seven fifteen, so we might do a movie night but um yeah it's a family night well, this has been great. Thank you so much um, for your time. Been a been a real joy to talk with you. Is there anything we haven't covered today that you'd like to share with our audience? No, thanks for your opportunity. I, I appreciate it. Great to talk to you guys. If, if folks want to, you know, reach out, uh, they can find me on LinkedIn, David Supple, S-U-P-P-L-E, uh, on Instagram, Facebook, Design Build Movement, put out com- content there. And um, yeah. 
New England Design and Construction is the name of, of my business. Awesome. That's great. And that was going to be my next question was how folks could reach out to you. So LinkedIn is a great way to do it. Yep. And we are, I am putting up a, um, a page on our website for the book so that it can be uh, pre-purchased. It's not up yet, but it will be soon. But if, but if you, you know, connect on one of those social media platforms, when it is up, I will certainly let you know. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Really have enjoyed this time together. Yes, I'm here. Thank you, guys. Thank you to our audience for tuning into this episode of Construction Disruption uh, with David Supple of New England Design and Construction and also the book coming out soon, Rebuilding the Architect, author of that. Please watch for future episodes of our podcast. We always have great guests on tap. have certainly been blessed today. Um, don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Um, until then, we encourage everyone, change the world for someone, make them smile, encourage them, bring them hope. Powerful things that we can do uh, to change the world one interaction at a time. Um, God bless. Take care. This is Isaiah Industries signing off. Until the next episode of Construction Disruption.